Hi, I'm Mo, and she gave me a smile I could feel in my hip pocket. And I'm TJ, the podcaster who's got a hat, a microphone, and a laptop. That's it. And this is... It's still new to us, damn it. Welcome to It's Still New to Us, damn it. I'm Mo, he's TJ, as we just said, and we're here to watch every movie ever made to be invited to parties. I really delighted my family this Christmas uh, with my knowledge of this movie. Good. And my knowledge of your name. Good. And uh, Paprika. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. I did the same thing, but I was outside because they got annoyed by me. So I was just yelling like, Paprika! It's a movie about, oh, <laughs> about started... dreams! Well, yeah, that's better than my scenario. I was doing it. I was talking about that movie while my aunt was making dinner and she kept adding it. Paprika, paprika. paprika. And, and by the end of it, our lasagna was just inedible. Oh, damn. Uh, it, was, it was bad. But that you know what? Um, it at least helped drown out, you know, all the conversation of my younger cousins being more successful than me. Yeah. You know, so that was nice. That was nice, yeah. Did you have a good uh, Christmas yourself? Yes, I did. Um, this is after Christmas. I know we've been off a little bit, but um, it's TJ's fault. I'm just going to blame TJ. Sure. Yeah, why not? It's good. Well, also my fault, kind of, because I keep on forgetting about the recordings. And... We're busy people. Yeah, we're busy people, okay? Yeah, we got Next lives outside do. of this, man. Yeah. Kind of. got movies to watch, uh, mm-hmm. things to eat. Um, yeah. People to hang out with. It's time. It's time-consuming stuff, man. Yeah. Okay. You know? Yeah. What have you been up to? Nothing much. Um, I was working. Uh, I watched some movies. Yes. Yes. Good. We should enter. Banter, banter time. Banter time. Banter time. Banter time. Banter time. Banter time. Shut up. Okay. Oh yeah, I watched some movies. Um, last night I saw the movie The Holdovers. Ah. It was delightful. It was hilarious and very heartfelt. Okay. Yes. It's about Paul Giamatti in a boarding school. That's it. That's it? Yeah, is Paul he... Giamatti in a boarding school over winter break. That's it. Is he by himself? Is it like No, a... he's, he's with a kid. Okay. And a uh, cafeteria worker. And that's it. Just those three? Yeah. Is this a, sh- a Shining type scenario? No, no Shining, no. Okay. No. Very hot, though. Oh. Yeah, I see Paul Giamatti stick out his eyes a lot. Okay. Yeah. He does kind of get the bug eyes sometimes. Great actor, though. Yeah. Love Paul Giamatti. Basically, if you have Paul Giamatti in, like, a New England boys' school in the 1970s, you got it right. Okay. Yeah. I can picture that. Yeah. The whole movie was shot, like, in the 70s, too. even had the old, um, like, Rated R logo with Mm -hmm. blue and stuff. Like, the cover of that. Oh, that's kind of cool. Yeah. Queen of the Stones album. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. When we were there, they were, they, somebody shouted out, Look! It's the old it's the old logo! Oh, it was in theaters you yeah, saw it. Okay. It was in theaters, yeah, cool. This is a new movie, then? It's a new movie. Oh, I had it just heard came of it. Out. Okay. It is very great. Good. Yes. I gave it four stars in my letterbox and said it was the champagne of movies. Is this four out of five in this case? Yes. Okay. Yes. Letterbox doesn't do the six-star method? No. It uh, does not follow our method. I see. If you saw the movie, you would laugh that joke, but oh, it's not in the movie, so... So that joke didn't hit at all. That joke did not hit at all. Oh, well. No, it did not. Um, I saw Arsenic and Old Lace, one of my favorites. Arsenic and Old Lace. Yes, okay. it's about um, Cary Grant is living with his aunt, and his aunt, turns out, murders people, but not in like a, like a sadistic way. They do it out of kindness. You know, they think, they take uh, people from the street, like homeless people, people with no homes, they bring them in for the night, and then they murder them and Ooh. bury them in the basement. Huh. Yeah. This is a true story thing? No, 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 no. That's good, at least. It's a comedy. So he has to cover oh. up the murders to make sure nobody finds out. Sounds like a farce. And also he has to deal with his psychotic brother coming back and making sure that he doesn't find out. 
We can all him. we can all relate to this. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds good. That's really hilarious. Yes. Good. So you check that out. Okay. And of course, we saw the boy and the heron. Yes, we did see the boy and the heron. Yeah. That's right. That was a lot of fun. There was a Miyazaki, yes. his newest movie. His newest movie. We saw that. Could um, be his last. We don't know. Yeah, we saw that in IMAX, quote unquote. It was not like an IMAX theater where you're like no. inside a snow globe, for lack of a better explanation. But it was shot. It was the IMAX cut of the film. It was an early advanced screening. Yeah. And when we got there, there was a woman in the row ahead of us who was mad that it was not the snow globe uh, experience and was saying that she didn't drive three hours to see this movie she's been waiting for for years, you know, not on an IMAX screen. And uh, she left. Yeah, with her daughter. With her daughter. Yeah. And uh, who was an innocent bystander as far as I'm concerned. And then, what did we make it? Probably 20, 25 minutes into the movie, and it was the dub version. It was the dub version. And it was advertised when we got the tickets that it would be the subtitle. Mm-hmm. So, but you know what? I just let it go. To be honest, on a big screen like that, I don't mind the dub version, because then I can take in all the visuals. Mm-hmm. Uh, then about 25 minutes into the movie, the film just cuts out, and everyone in the theater is like, what the hell is going on? And yeah. A manager from the theater comes in and says, oh, we ran the wrong version. So they restarted the movie with the subtitled version. That was weird. Yeah, fine. That was fine. That was weird. I've never seen that happen before. Me neither. Yeah. At that point, I would have just read it. Usually it's a van. Just like, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Wasn't I heard Robert Pattinson was the heron? Robert Pattinson was the heron. Um, Was Christian Bale in it, too? Christian Bale, yeah. He was the grandfather, I believe. No, wait. The granduncle. The granduncle. Yes. Yes, he was the granduncle. Oh, cool. He's done a couple Studio Ghibli movies then, hasn't he? Yeah, he loves working with... um, Miyazaki, and also nice. like everybody wants to be in this film because, you know, it could be his last film. Yeah, good point. You know, one of the greatest directors of our lifetime. So, yeah, might as well work with him before he either passes away or just doesn't make a movie again. Yeah, uh, Dave Batista was the was the cockatoo. Um, wow. Yeah, cockatoo king. Wow, that's yeah. awesome. Let's see, Gemma Chan was Natsuko. Lim Dafoe was a noble pelican. Okay. Oh, he was the pelican that died. Oh, shit, yeah. Yes. Spoiler. Mark Hamill. No, Mark Hamill was granduncle. Ah. Wow. Kristen Bale was Sochimaki. Oh, he was the he was the father. Oh, Christian Bale was? He was the father, yes. Gotcha. He was okay. the father. That's right. I was thinking about that. Yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. So, yeah, Kristen Bale was the father. Yeah, and the boy in the hammer. Yeah. So, it's a this out there movie and he made it like that to make sure it's out there like so you don't understand what's it about oh yeah it's definitely out there yeah very good though very good very stylus i love the this is his first film he kind of got help at because he's Mm. he's so old that he can't really do a lot so we got help from the guy who made um evan uh evangelion neon yeah 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 Yeah, so he got help with him and really amazing i love the fire scenes where it's the beginning where you can see him running and it kind of looks like not translucent, but well, yeah, like it's all color. yeah. Yes, well, I think it's to, it's obviously to emulate kind of the uh, what's the, sh- uh, shock, like you're, when your body's in shock and yeah. you, you know you can't really see straight. Yes, that was good. I know what you're talking about, the blurring effects, the kind blurring of. effects, yeah. And like the sound does that thing too, where everything around is muffled, and you know all you can think about and concentrate on is his family, you know, getting to his mom. And, yeah. No, that uh, that was a good movie. Definitely recommended it. Definitely, uh, recommended it, yeah. Definitely see it in theaters same. while you can. Yeah, anime style is amazing still. Yeah. I love the cute little souls thing when they 
Oh yeah, yeah that was nice. Yeah, like, free them. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. It is a tough movie to understand, but honestly, like I don't think that is the point. Is yeah, to go exactly. in and that understand never, anything that was about point. it. That was never the point. It's no. just he's just taking multiple things that he wants to sh- say and just putting it in a movie, and then each thing could be a different thing, and then you just take away from it. Yeah. And isn't that at the end of the day what a good movie is? That's true. Yeah, yeah. That's um. Let's see. I've seen. I think I've seen most of the Miyazaki ones. So now we've seen Spirited Away, which people oh, consider his wow. best. Yes. Even I've seen that. Yes. I don't know if I told a story on here on the podcast where my aunt got us for us in like 2003 on VHS, but we had no idea what anime was, so we never watched it. Mm-hmm. So we just kept it in the same case and wrapped up still in plastic. In VHS. In VHS, yes. Wow. Yeah. Why do you think she got that for you? I think it was this cartoon. That sounds fun. And then, okay. yeah. It's a great movie. You yeah, it is. Really a great movie. watch that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I've seen Spirit. Away. I've never seen Spirit Away. Uh, seen the world of Harrietta. Seen that one. I think yeah. that's one of his weakest ones. That one has no plot and mostly is about you know looking beautiful and things like that. But could be deeper meanings and stuff like that. Uh, seen My Neighbor Totoro. I've seen mm-hmm. uh, the Castiole. Uh, his first movie, which is amazing. No, I haven't seen that one. I've seen that's the other really ones you mentioned. I think I have it. I can lend it to. Nice. Um, let's see, I've seen The Princess Mononoke. I've seen the, the sorry, uh, Prin- yeah, no, I've seen Princess Mononoke. I've seen uh, Nostalgia Valley of the Wind. I've seen Howl's Moving Castle. I've mm-hmm. seen... That one's, a, I like Howl's Moving yeah, Castle quite a bit. One. That was Christian Bale too, wasn't yes, it? Yes, it was, yeah. yeah. I've seen Castle in the Sky. Nice. Um, let's see, I've seen Kiki's Delivery Service. I haven't seen that one. Very cute film. I've heard that's um, very good. Yes, let's see, what else? I haven't seen... I don't know if he did Pocoloso. Or that was somebody else. I forget. I haven't seen Pocoloso. Um, I think that's mostly it. Yeah, the only movie I haven't really seen is Spirit Away. I've seen The Wind Rises. Okay. It's supposedly that film. I've seen that. So I think one. Either one or two I have not seen yet. So, yeah. He's still got time. Still got time. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, okay. Uh, anything else you watched, TJ? Yes. On top of... Uh... And on top of The Boy and the Heron with um, subtitles, I did see Godzilla Minus One. Ooh. Outstanding. Outstanding movie. I am willing to say it is the second best Godzilla movie next to the original, but I will not shit on people that say it's the best and that it beats the original. It's just, to me, the original was so serious and so earnest in, in terms of... it. It's like a real-life response to a horrible tragedy the Japanese yeah. underwent, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's how they... That was part of like their healing process. This movie, Godzilla Minus One, though, I mean, it's it's just as good as the original, in my opinion. It was outstanding. They've can, they've submitted it for Oscar approval. Hopefully it gets it. Honestly, yeah. If it's nominated for Best Picture, that would be insane. That would be game-changing. Yeah. And... You know, I'd have to watch the com- competition, I suppose, but yeah, I wouldn't people be. People compared uh, it to like Oppenheimer itself. It's outstanding. Yeah, yeah, it is very good, uh, very good movie, and I definitely recommend uh, if you can seeing it on the big screen, uh, definitely do so. That's cool. Uh, but I saw that. Um, I'm still. I got like six episodes left in Cowboy Bebop, and I have the movie lined up. Um, I've seen the movie, but I've seen the action scene. I've seen one action scene that's really cool for me. Okay, I don't know anything about the movie. Um, let's see, what the hell else am I up to? I watched The Shining last week because it's like my new favorite Christmas movie. Really? I know it's not a Christmas movie, but there's snow in it, so... Yeah, Fuck counts. it. I, I turned it on while I wrapped my gifts, and it was kind of oddly peaceful. That's cool. Just an oddly p- peaceful moment of zen. Um, 
gosh dang it, I'm sure I watched something else that'll come. Oh, after I watched the movie of our podcast today, I watched it uh, uh, on a different streaming service than you, and the one I watched it on automatically rolled over to another movie. Now, I'm dumb. I didn't realize that Philip Marlowe was a character. Like a, yeah, me neither. I mean, like a Bond like... character. He's been played by like a dozen different yeah. actors. Uh, including, I guess that makes sense, that Liam Neeson movie from last year, Marlowe. Uh, I didn't see it, but that's the latest version. Um, but it rolled right over into the remake of The Big Sleep. I never knew that yeah, existed. That's, yeah, that's the sequel to this movie. Too. Yes. Kind of like the, yes. I don't know, spiritual sequel, or it's actually kind of... Remember, but instead yeah. of taking place in L.A., it takes place in England, and it's in contemporary times. Uh-huh. I did not have a chance to watch it. I, was, I didn't have the time that day. Yeah. But... I was it the Robert Mitchum version? Or yes. Was it, okay. Yes. So it, wasn't it, was the Robert, it was not Humpty Bogart. Not the okay. original. I've always heard of the original. I've always heard I have to see that. I've heard, yeah. you know, it's obviously uh, got a very good reputation. Yeah. Um, but it would be fun to watch the remake. Uh, like I said, I'd never heard of it uh, having a remake, so my hopes aren't really the highest for it. But, hey, it's Robert Mitchum, and that's yeah. always a good time. Sure. Definitely. But otherwise, uh, not too much. Been trying to do some reading and stuff. Yeah. I have been reading um, Breakfast of Champions mm-hmm. by Kurt Vonnegut. It's really good right now. Um, I'm actually reading a lot right now. Good. I got the Bruce, I got a Bruce Springsteen autobiography. Nice. Called Born to Run. Um, that's really great. Uh, what else am I reading? I'm rereading One Piece. I've decided to reread it. Cool. Yeah. That's a... Uh, I was just reading it. I was like, this is great. I gotta keep on reading it. So, yeah. I'm gonna try to buy all the volumes. Because I could do it on my phone. But I'm just like, I can't, it just doesn't connect when I read it on my phone or nice. on, any, on tablets and stuff like that. Um, yeah, so that's mostly it for reading. Um, I did read, I did watch Blood Simple, the first Oh, film. great and movie. Cool. Yes. That's a very good that's movie. That's so, the atmosphere of that movie is so great. Yes, it is. Yeah. Yes, it is. And you can see how it influences later movies of theirs. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, good, good. That's a great movie. Yeah. And uh, it does not get nearly the attention that it deserves. No, yeah, it's good. It's amazing. Like, you liked it, it? Yes. Barely any dialogue or story, just like, it's a very simple story, but just like the atmosphere of it all just like amazes mm-hmm. you how dark and creepy it could be oh yeah. yeah and you definitely see echoes in that of that in barton fink and fargo and uh, no country for old men yeah that's it's a great first impression by those by the coen brothers yeah love that movie nice yeah definitely yeah. where'd you find or what made you watch that just i bought it one time um, right. i bought i think it was on criterion sale or something oh uh, nice. no i didn't watch it on the criterion channel i forget do I own Blood Simple? yes i do own Blood Simple. i do yes i watched it yeah i had it on my dvd and i decided to watch it I have some more DVDs I still gotta watch. I still gotta watch um, Lost Highway by uh, David Fincher. Okay. Three hours of this weirdness, so it's gonna sure. be interesting. Yeah. Um, but that's mostly it. I can't really think of anything else I'm watching. So, or reading. Uh, wrestling's still going good. Pay per view this weekend. Just gonna watch it. But I think that's it. I think it's the time to end banter time. Banter time. Banter time. Banter time. Banter time. Okay, so movie time, movie time, movie time, movie time, movie time, movie time. And our movie this week is Farewell, My Lovely. Farewell, goodbye, Alfreda's Zane, goodbye. Okay, yes, but it is Farewell, My Lovely from 1975. You want to give us a rundown of who directed it? Definitely. Directed by Dick Richards or Dick Dick. Dick Richards. That's so good.
That was not an edit. That was not an edit thing. No, that was not an edit thing. That was us trying to high five each other. Oh. <laughs> uh, Dick Richards. Oh, Dick Dick. Uh, Is his birth name Richard Richards? I have no idea. Actually. No, he was born Dick Richards. Dick Richards. According to Wikipedia. Mm. Yeah, uh, he produced Tootsie and directed the directed Heat, the 1986 version of Heat. Oh wow! Yeah, so not that Heat. Okay. It must be terrible to be have a film of the same name that's way better than the. I gotta say, I did not realize that there was an earlier version of Heat. Yeah, it's probably not a remake. It's just Heat. It's just another movie called Heat. Another movie called Heat. Okay, that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. Uh, written by uh, David Zilaw Goodman. He wrote Logan's Run. Mm-hmm. And Man, Women, and Child. Never okay. heard of it in my life. Me Probably neither. really bad. So I was watching Sheen, though. So who knows? <laughs> I like Martin Sheen. Yeah. Sign Robert Mitchum, amazing actor, of Cape Fear and the Story of G.I. Joe. Yeah. So maybe he was based off. Maybe Robert Mitchum is G.I. Joe. Who knows? Maybe. I don't know if he played G.I. Joe, but it was in the story of G.I. Joe. Well, why don't you look it up and then you'd know. And yeah. knowing is half the battle. Uh, Charlotte Rambling, The Verdict, and Orca, The Killer Whale knockoff of Jaws. That's, oh, I'm aware of that movie. Yeah, yes. definitely. Uh, John Ireland of My Darling Clementine and Salon Kitty. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Sylvia Miles, Midnight Cowboy and Sleeping Beauty, 1987. I was going to ask if you caught caught her, um, she was in Midnight Cowboy. Yeah. I was going to ask if you she remember that. She was the drunk, uh... The drunk, like the drunk old timey. Uh, yeah, she was right? a spinster kind of. She was the yeah. one that that she was nominated for an Oscar, I believe, despite being in the movie for five minutes. Yes, I thought it. I thought it was the fem- femme fatale who was nominated, but I was. I thought it was Sylvia Miles. I could be wrong. We'll look into. I that think it is Sylvia Miles. Yes, I mean she acted great in that because I was watching it, and we'll get into it later. But I was watching it. I'm like, how the heck did Charlotte Rambling get an Oscar nomination? It was like. It doesn't seem like it doesn't seem like that great a performance of the theme from Tale, but if it's Sylvia Miles, that makes way more sense actually, because she actually performed great in that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it may make those up. And Anthony Zerby from License to Kill, yeah, and Kiss meets the Phantom of the Park. You ever see his death scene in License? To- oh, we watched License to Kill together. Remember, he's the guy that gets his head pressure out. He gets put in that pressurization machine, and his head explodes. Oh, cool. it's the most like bloody thing that James Bond ever has shown. Yeah, that was the Timothy Dalton one, right? Yes. Yes, great one. Yeah, I like that one. And, uh, Gigi, have you ever seen Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park? I can safely say I have not. I have, and it's boring as shit. No. <laughs> How can it be boring? It's just so boring. It's just... My mom... Okay, so one Christmas, she, she asked me, do you like Kiss? I'm like, yeah, they're okay. And she got me a Kiss box set for Christmas. You know, one of the things that you said, like, yeah, it's fine. And then, like, oh, you think that's really like it. Yeah. So I got Kiss box set, never watched it, but I watched the movie Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park. And I was like, this is the most boringest movie of all time. How? How can they be boring? The Beatles made entertaining movies. Well, Kiss is not entertaining. It's just, it's all about a guy who replaces people in amusement parks. Wow. And the power of Kiss will stop him. And it's just, like, no action. They barely do anything in the film. I think they shoot, like, electricity from their hands or something. It's been a while since I've seen it, but I remember that was, like, the first film I've seen. I've seen, like, like, it was like, this is so boring. This is not a good movie at all. Jeez, what was it called? Kiss Meets the Phantom of what? Phantom, Phantom of the Park. Okay, jeez. The thing is, there's no really Phantom of the Park. It's really just a mad scientist, so it should be, like, Kiss Meets the Mad Scientist of the Park or something like that. How can that be boring? That's unfortunate. 
That's unfortunate. It wasn't entertaining at all. You know what's not boring, though, was Phantom of the Paradise, which I was telling my, my cousin the other day at the Christmas party before I was rudely interrupted by his newborn twin babies crying. <laughs> Can you believe that? Yeah, what bullshit. I know. But yeah. Yeah. Go on. Yeah. Um, and the budget of the film was $2.5 million, and the box office was $2 million. So that's the basic Jeez, facts. wait, it lost money? Like, oh, shit. 50000 It wasn't that big of a hit, I don't think. Yeah, that's a bummer. Yeah. Of course, this is Wikipedia numbers, so... These things happen, true, though, I suppose, you know? Yeah, definitely. That was who directed it, wrote it, and starred in it. TJ, what's this film about? All right, well, folks, make sure you have a nice tall glass of water next to you, because this, this plot twists like a pretzel here, so... You might get thirsty. Set in early 1940s Los Angeles, Farewell My Lovely follows the burnt-out private investigator Philip Marlowe, who was hired by bank robber Moose Malloy, fresh off a seven-year prison sentence, to track down Moose's main squeeze, Velma, a former nightclub dancer. With some help from a nightclub musician named Tommy Ray, Marlowe tracks Velma to a mental asylum. But when he delivers this news to Moose, the big man asserts that the identified woman was indeed not Velma, and the search for her resumes. Meanwhile, another client, a wealthy man named Marriott, retains Marlowe's services as protection during a ransom money exchange which goes horribly wrong. Upon arriving at the site of the meeting, Marlowe is knocked unconscious and Marriott is murdered. LAPD officers subsequently inform Marlowe that Moose has fled to Mexico and that his search for Velma must be halted immediately. Instead, Marlowe defiantly investigates Marriott's death, a search which brings him into the home of Judge Baxter Grail, a political juggernaut in Los Angeles. Despite his power, however, Grail is implied to be a timid man, as shown by his inaction when his trophy wife Helen openly seduces Marlowe before hiring him to uncover Marriott's murderer and their motive. This undertaking proves dangerous, however, as he is immediately abducted by thugs working for the infamous brothel operator Francis Amthor, who indicates some vague connection to Moose, Malloy, and Velma. She drugs Marlowe and locks him in storage alongside the corpse of Tommy Ray, which Marlowe finds upon awakening to his horror. He manages to fight his way out of captivity, and while holding Amthor at gunpoint, catches a break when their conversation is interrupted by news that one of her girls is in bed with Johnny, a low-level thug of Amthor's played by a pre-Rocky Sly Stallone. This news whips Amthor into a frenzy and she begins to beat the girl, Doris, until Johnny shoots and kills the enraged Madame. In the ensuing chaos, Marlowe, still in a drug-induced stupor, escapes the brothel and finds respite at the house of his friend and confidant, Georgie. The next day, Marlowe receives a call from Helen, who invites him to a party for her husband, at which Marlowe is offered a significant fee to arrange a meeting with Moose by the high-powered criminal Laird Brunette who operates an illicit gambling yacht for high rollers off the coast and provides plenty of kickback money to the LAPD for clemency. With the help of Jesse Florian, a former nightclub dancer and co-worker of Velma's, Marlowe coaxes Moose out of hiding and he even receives a phone call from Velma which gives him instructions on where to meet her. Marlowe accompanies Moose to the rendezvous which turns out to be an ambush from which the two barely escape. Worse yet, upon returning to Jesse's for answers, Marlowe and the police find her murdered. Now fully aware that he's some pawn in a bigger game, Marlowe appeals to Police Lieutenant Nolte's sense of integrity and sways several LAPD officers, who, remember, are on the take in 1940s LA, to his side. 
He concludes that he has to confront Burnett for answers, so he and Moose sneak on to Burnett's boat and work their way to the captain's cabin, where they find Burnett with Helen Grail, who is revealed to be Velma, who has worked as a prostitute for Madame Amthor while Moose was incarcerated and before she married Judge Grail to reinvent herself. She and Burnett have been methodically killing everyone who knew her as Velma, such as Tommy Ray, Jesse Florian, and Marriott. She opens fire at Moose, which prompts Marlo to shoot her. Nolte and his officers arrive shortly thereafter, and Helen and Burnett are left to their discretion. Marlo, exhausted, makes one final decision, to donate the money he earned throughout this ordeal to the wife and toddler son of Tommy Ray, and a pulpy noir jazz number serenades us as credits roll. In the end, some mild hilarity ensues. Okay, thank you, TJ. That was great. Good. That took way longer than it really should have. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, you give every single detail. So it's okay. a dense plot. It is very dense, yes. Yes, this mm -hmm. movie moves very quickly. It does. Okay, so speaking of this movie, TJ, you chose this movie because mm -hmm. it's one of Roger yes. Ebert's four-star films. Correct. Which you thought was a very rare club. It turns out there's probably like 100 or 500. Oh, God. There's, yeah. yeah, there's a lot. No, yeah. there's a lot of four-star movies, and you know what? That's, that's fine. Uh... I did choose it uh, as I was going through those movies, uh, mainly because the poster with Robert Mitchum's face and a plume of smoke in the shape of a woman really caught my eye. It's a pretty cool-looking uh, theatrical poster. Mm -hmm. uh, I knew nothing about this movie going in, other than, other than it was a noir thriller movie, which, again, that's, that's the stuff that gets me. I love that stuff. Mm -hmm. And I saw 1975. One of my favorite movies ever is Chinatown. Yeah. Uh, and I can tell that just based on the year, this is right off the heels of the success of Chinatown. Mm -hmm. So I was all for it. And I do, I do, um, you know, I don't always agree with Roger Ebert, but I certainly respect his opinions and the way he backs them up. Uh, so I said, what the hell? Did you know anything about this movie? No, nothing. I would have felt my lovely ever. Um, you know, we know of Robert Mitchum because of uh, of the Night of the Hunter, of course, which is <laughs> the any call of our podcast. Yes. High five. Yes. Yeah, Did you know that Philip Marlowe was like a literary character akin to like no, a James I, Bond? No, I didn't. Yeah, I actually looked up some Philip Marlowe stuff um, for this podcast. Good, because I had no idea either. Yeah. I had no idea. Yeah, he was created by Ray Raymond Chandler. I believe he was a very famous uh, detective story writer. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, hard-boiled crime fiction genre. Uh, first appeared in the story The Big Sleep. Uh, he's wisecracking, hard-drinking, a tough private eye. Uh, Marlowe is quietly contemplative, philosophical, and enjoys chess and poetry. He is not afraid to risk physical harm. He does not dish out violence merely to settle scores. He's only uptight, upright, sorry. And he's not fooled by the, the genre's usual fan fatales. Hmm. So that's like his kind of ego and stuff like that. His, uh, his background. Yeah. Sure. Sure, sure. And stuff. Yeah. Which is very seen in this movie with Five Mission Portrayal. So, yes, the character model has been represented in ten films. Uh, the Falcon Takes Over from 1942, which is an adaption of Farewell, Farewell My Lovely, uh, with the detective being the Falcon, who is a substitute for Marlowe himself. And George Sanders is the Falcon. Uh, Time to Kill, 1942. Also, the adaption of The High Window. With Detective Michael Shane, who substitutes as Marlowe. And is played by Lloyd Nolan. Murder My Sweet, 1944. Adaptation of... And of also, Farewell My Lovely. And Dick Powell plays Marlowe, but no substitution. Okay, The Big Sleep, played famously by 
Humphrey Bogart in 1946. Uh, Lady, Lady in the Lake by Robert Montgomery as Philip, which I believe is a substitute of Marlowe. Oh, no, no, he is Ma Philip Marlowe, sorry. Uh, the Brasher Doubloon adaption of Also the High Window by George Montgomery plays Marlowe. Um, let's see, there's some more. There's Marlowe, 1969, a of the Little Sister, uh, played by James Gardner, who actually was an inspiration of the Rockford Files, so... Wow, yeah, James Gardner's a big name. Yeah. Uh, The Long Goodbye, which is amazing. Uh, Elliot Gould plays Marlowe. I believe that was directed by, uh, what's his name? Robert. Elliot Gould? Yeah. Wow. That was directed by Robert Altman. Directed that one, I believe. Wow, Goodbye. no shit. Of course, Farewell, My Lovely, 1975, Robert Mitchum. And then The Big Sleep, again, in 1978, by Robert Mitchum. Mm -hmm. And then Marlowe, 2022, by Liam Neeson. Yeah, so okay. ten adaptions, mostly. A lot of them just based off this movie. Sure. Or just based off this book, I should say. A story. It's a good story. I mean, it's uh, it's at least got all the, the elements that make a noir story a noir story. Definitely. Right? Actually, it. it changes a little bit because noir stories usually end in like tragedy. This one kind of doesn't end in tragedy because like he does one good thing, and that's the that's partially true. But it yeah. doesn't hurt. You know, you still have all these innocent, otherwise innocent people that have been killed because they just happen to know this woman's identity. Yeah. Um, and then I think it was kind of left ambiguous whether Velma died or not. I don't think she did, right? In Moose. No, I think Moose, I, I think remember, they both died, yeah. They both, did they? Yeah, I remember yeah. them both getting shot. I wasn't sure if they both died. Yeah. But regardless, it. I still... I know what you mean. It's not like the Chinatown ending, per se. But I do get a sense that it's a melancholy ending. So, yeah. one of the, uh, the, the motifs throughout this movie, and it's one that I loved, was Joe DiMaggio's hitting streak. Yeah, Joe DiMaggio, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, it's not like we take it for granted these days. We can follow, we can look at any in-depth sports statistics, right? Mm -hmm. But you know, it's there. He Philip Marlowe in this movie takes brief breaks to stop at a newspaper stand run by his friend Georgie, who's mm -hmm. also kind of like his eyes on the street. And I love that character too. But he makes you know baseball conversation with him, and he's from from afar following this um, Joe DiMaggio hitting streak, and how it just seems superhuman. And then by the end, after you know he's quote unquote one after he's finished the job and you know he can finally relax uh he does in his narration he mentions that dimaggio's um streak was you know it seemed like it was unstoppable uh but it was ultimately end by pitchers who were really unremarkable pitchers they weren't superstars or anything yeah. like that and i think that that is actually very appropriate because i think that ties into the ending of the movie where you have this this brunette gang you know underworld figure who's yeah. seemingly untouchable he's paying off the police and all that and marlo and a few cops that decide to just do the right thing are the ones that take him down yeah so i think that's kind of where the dimaggio analog ah, was that's how sense. i read it anyway because yeah. then after he's playing that little coin operated baseball game in the arcade yeah. you can tell he's just melancholy i mean the whole movie this character yeah. is so beaten down right he's so exactly. tired He's just tired. exhausted, like, right? I want to go to bed. I know, and I love it. Like they, they don't really give you explicit detail on his the character's background. I'm sure that if you read the books, you can deduce more. Mm -hmm. At one point, he mentioned something about back at the DA's office, so it's kind of hinted he might have worked for the district attorney. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but 
you just get the sense that he is, you know, pardon the cliche, but he's getting too old for this shit. He's getting too old for this shit. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. What would you think of the narration? Um, I thought it was great. Um, I don't know how I feel about narration in movies. I know some people don't like it because mm-hmm. sometimes there's bad narrations or sometimes the, the narrator itself is a bad narrator. See or... the OG Blade Runner. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The original cut of Blade Runner has a really weird voice or narration yeah. by Harrison Ford. Yeah, he's uh, unreliable, you know. There's unreliable narrators, yeah, definitely. But I think I like narration. I don't know why. Maybe because I just like the... like It's like they're watching the movie with you and they're like explaining it to you. They, you know, they're part, of the char- they're part of the movie but also with you at the same time. Yeah. Something like that, but... Well, this one, there's a, re- there's a purpose for it. Not yeah. only just... To help expedite the story, which, yeah. as you can tell, is very layered. There's a lot of stuff going, a lot of moving parts here. But it's also, you know, at the start of the movie, we see Lieutenant Nolte meeting uh, Marlowe in a, in a hotel room yeah. by himself. You know, he says, come alone, because Nolte's supposed to arrest him at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, basically, he's recounting the story of what led to all this to Nolte to, to kind of make a plea, hey, come with me and take down this boat run by Anthony Zerbe, Burnett's character, you know, yeah. the Burnett character. So I think it it does serve a purpose. I do like the fact that, you know, Lieutenant Nolte is just, like, sitting on the bed, like, listening to him talk about Joe DiMaggio and this sex scene and, yeah. like, sex scenes and stuff with the judge's wife. And yeah. it's like, okay, maybe that's a little silly, but... Overall, I do love the narration, especially because Robert Mitchum's got the perfect voice for this type of yeah. movie. You never really think about that, like, when they're explaining the full details of, of anything in, like, movies and mm-hmm. stuff, and it's a flashback. It's like, wait, somebody's actually just sitting down, listening to this whole story, and, like, parts he doesn't need to know, and it's like... Right. Yeah. Right, but, like, here, here here's, some, here's a couple of his narration bits. Yeah. Uh, the house itself wasn't much. It was smaller than Buckingham Palace and probably had fewer windows than the Chrysler building. That's about the judge's house. Yeah. Uh, I sparred with the night clerk a couple of minutes, but it was like trying to open a sardine after you broke off the metal lip. That was something... There was something about Abraham Lincoln's picture that loosened him up. I love that line. That, that is a great that line. That is a great line, yeah. The, the, the dialogue in this movie is so pulpy. It so can pulpy, fill in, snappy. Oh, so I could taste the orange juice. It was so pulpy. Yeah. I loved it. And I he... wish I took more notes of the of the dialogue itself, but uh, when I was, I'll, I'll get into what what I was happening when I was watching this movie. But yeah, I wish I took more. But luckily, we got the quote page to help us. Yes, out. yes. I I am going to work into my lexicon as much as possible. She gave me a smile I could fit in my hip pocket. Yeah. like you mentioned at the beginning. That is such a. What great does that line. mean exactly? I don't even know, and it doesn't even matter. You just you deliver it with enough charisma, and no one even thinks about it. Yeah, yeah. They got um, Miss Quail. Uh, geez, you're an old fashioned, aren't you? And Marlo says, "From the waist up." Yeah. <laughs> How about this one? I've been beaten up, slapped, shot full of hop until I was crazy as two waltzing mice. <laughs> this was not Marlo. This is a Billy Wolf. Uh, you're not a detective, Marlo. You're a slot machine. You do anything for six bucks. That's six, another six great bits. one. That's yeah. another great that one. That was uh, Harry Dean Stanton, who was Correct. also in this movie. He was an amazing actor. Correct. I have to see Paris, Texas. I, I almost watched. didn't even recognize him the first time. I was like, that's so... The guy looks so familiar. He's just so young in this. Yeah. I used to... This is pre-alien. Pre-Alien. Um, what else? We, we saw him in... Uh, pretty... Um, uh, what was he else in? Was he in uh, we saw him in uh, the 90s. That was the Wild at Heart. So Wild at Heart. he looks different there. You know, he's in Pretty in Pink. Yeah. You know, he's in he's so a great, many movies. He's a great actor. He's one of the greatest, he does working, a great, one of the greatest working character actors of all time. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And he's the one detective that, if you'll recall, does not go with them to the boat. Because yeah, he's he just like... Fuck that, yeah. I'm getting paid. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. 
Uh, he also says, I bet you $5 you can't find a state that not wanted in when he sees unidentified thugs' bodies. Um, I had two, uh, I had two grand in my best pocket that I needed at home, and I just knew the place. Oh, this one's, this one's great. Uh, Francis Amthor said, I think you're very stupid. You look stupid. You're in a stupid business, and you're in a stupid case. Philip Marlowe's like, I get it. I'm stupid. Yeah, that is a good line, too. There are little bits of humor in this that really do work yeah. for me. And, of, of course, it, it comes down to the fact that um, Robert Mitchum is, like, the perfect... He's just, like, a sponge for all this abuse, you know? Yeah. Like, in the beginning, he helps, uh, you know, they show him on this case to get this rich girl who's yeah. run off from her parents, and she kicks him in the, ne the nuts before he returns. Yeah, kicks him in the knees, yeah. Yeah, and... Uh, He's just he's just a sponge for all this abuse. He gets yeah. shot up. I feel like this is like his Havani Dangerfield found his comedy bits. He's like, wait a minute, I'll just do that. <laughs> yeah, that's actually a good comparison. Yeah. He just gets no respect. He gets no respect. Everyone in the city knows him. Like he's clearly an institution yeah. among the people with police power. Right, the police, like yeah. criminals. Yeah. You know, he's obviously known and respected to the point, I guess, where even when they kill Marriott, the guy with the jade and the ransom. Mm -hmm. That they don't bother to kill Marlowe? I don't know. You know, he's important enough. He can be used, you know, hired to do basically any kind of job, I guess. Yeah. Uh, he, he clearly has a gravitas about him. Yeah. He has a cultural personality. Yeah, sure. Mm -hmm. and, and the world just feels very lived in, too. Mm -hmm. I can see this being one story of this character's whole, you know... Uh, life like you know the one story right. and like a million stories he has like probably like this you know right if something happens people get killed he gets blamed for it and then he solves the case at the end and goes on to the next one uh we have i have one more good line uh moose said you you a private dick and he said no i'm your fairy godmother yeah <laughs> that's a great line and i love the bit in the narration when he says you know i was walking when a hand that is big as what do you say like a hand so big I could sit in it, reached up and grabbed my shoulder. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, every bit of the dialogue in this movie is very well written. Uh, one more actually that I found here. This is when he, you know, so he's meeting with the character Jesse Florian, who mm -hmm. used to be a dancer, a nightclub dancer with Velma. Yeah. And she's kind of his, you know, his first pipeline basically, other than the the picture he gets from Tommy Ray that turns out to be, you know, a, a misleading. Yeah. Um, but he meets with her. A couple times, and every time he does, he has to bring her alcohol, bourbon, and they sit and yeah. drink it together. But this is one quote uh, from his narration. He says, I asked her if we could talk on the phone. A stupid question. How can I pour a fistful of bourbon on the phone? <laughs> just all this. It's just, that oh, it's just great. so, it just lends to this smoky, noir atmosphere. And I am a sucker for all of this. Yes, and she was played by Sylvia Miles? Yes, that's yes. the Sylvia Miles character. Okay, yes. I was, I was always confused by that, because... Okay, so when I was watching this movie, I had to watch it twice, because the first time, I ate a hamburger before and fell asleep. <laughs> Did ah, it. as we are all want to do yes, from time to time. time. Yes, I ate a big hamburger, and I was just like, wake up, watch the movie. And so I caught the end of it, but I missed, like, the middle of it. And so I watched it again later that day, and I watched all of it. So, sure. Yeah, so in two parts. But I got confused of who was who and everything else. But yeah, but she was amazing. Um, not to spoil it on the rewards section, but she got nominated for the Academy Award for it. For and this she, one? Yeah, for this one. Oh wow! Yeah. And she definitely deserved that, definitely. Because um, I thought I thought the femme fatale, uh, who was played by uh, by Charlotte Rampling, I thought that was I thought she got nominated. So I was thinking like I was oh. watching them, I'm like I don't think this is an Oscar nominated worthy performance. 
For which one? Charlotte Rambling? Charlotte Rambling. Because yeah. I'm like, she did great. She played the femme fatale amazingly, but, like, she probably played them, like, the same as all the other femme fatales and all the other, like, Marvel movies and stuff like that. Nothing really stands out, but, like, if you saw... Yeah. If you saw Sylvia Miles do a thing, I'm like, oh, this is great. She's outstanding in this. Yeah. She is very good. She comes across perfectly as this... Uh, this individual yeah. desperate character who still is kind of you know who kind of peaked in the past yeah only was able to find work because of her looks you can kind of tell like yeah. she was objectified in a way and didn't really have any skills otherwise at least that's how I read the character uh, she's got this seductiveness to her though all the same and no she's very good and she's very entertaining to watch work with Robert Mitchum yeah definitely um let's see moose. Yes. I love Moose. Oh, yes. Uh, so Dick O'Halloran. Dick O'Halloran. Yes, who would later be, uh, what's his name, Non in, in Superman's 1 and 2? He's one of the three Kryptonians. Oh, this guy's crazy. Oh, right, yeah. he, he was on a podcast, and he just started spouting random shit. It was, it was <laughs> oh, great. Yeah. yeah, he was in the King Kong remake, Superman, Superman 2, and the movie Dragnet. <laughs> Never saw the movie. Yeah. Uh, I've, there was a show, right? Yeah, it was a show and a movie. Yeah, Tom Hanks, right? Tom Hanks and Dan Aykroyd. That's right. Yeah. Who was he in the King Kong remake? I'm actually a big fan of the 70s King Kong. Mm-hmm. Not because it's great, just because it's like, exists. Yeah. I know Charles Bowden was in this 70s oh, yeah. King Kong movie. Oh, he's the equivalent of, uh, what's his face? Uh, the Jack Denham character. Uh, he, his name was Joe Perko. Joe that was his Perko. Yeah. Shoot, I don't remember. Yeah. Wasn't that Jessica Lange's first fall? Yes. Yes, it was, yes. And Joe Piscopo was an uncredited reporter in that movie. Oh, I had no idea. Man. Corbin Burnson was an uncredited reporter in that movie. Damn. Walt Gorney did. That must have been intentional. Of course, uh, uh, a names. boy, Dino De Laurentiis, produced it. Yeah, <laughs> Our that's boy. Right. Our boy Dino. Our boy Dino. Yeah, he's done a few of these movies Crazy so far, hasn't he? Yeah. Yeah, you know, he didn't always produce great movies, but he produced movies that made money. Yeah. A lot of times, anyway. You ever seen the 70s King Kong? No. I've only seen... I think I've seen the 2005 King Kong. I don't know if I've seen the original King Kong. Oh, um, the original's outstanding. Yeah. Still, to this day, it's very good. Mm-hmm. Definitely recommend it. But anyway... You know, Farewell, My Lovely, we went through it, you know, in the synopsis, kind of beat by beat. Yeah. What do you take... I mean... This is such a fast-moving movie. Yeah. What did you think of the plot? Did you think the pacing and the tautness? What did you think of all that? Um, I don't know. It was, like you said, it was really fast. Um, I think I kind of didn't understand most of it. Because like, when I was watching it the first time, I think I got confused. Like, what's going on? I'm just like... And then I watched the second time. I still kind of was confused. I got confused who the characters were and everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you know, it's very fast. But I think, I don't know, that's the point of the movie. Just big snappy and... And fast. Um, to try to figure out what to say. Here. Um, but I don't, know, I don't think it was. Maybe it wasn't that great a mystery. It really keep me like intensified. Like I don't. Know, I didn't know it was going to be like the girl was going to be a uh, Velma, a Velma. You know, I didn't know that. But I don't know. I wasn't like blown away. It was her. You know. I wasn't blown away by the twist ending either. I would say. Yeah. Um, but I still enjoyed it. I yeah. because this movie moves so quickly and because you don't really see much of you don't really know much of Moose and Velma's relationship. Yeah. So it's like I don't really know what his intentions are. Is he trying to get back with her to reconcile or did she wrong him and yeah. he's trying to get even? Yeah. You never know. Moose even? is just like I just want Velma and right. Like his Velma, my Velma. Velma, my Velma. Yeah. Yes. So 
that might be partially why it doesn't hit the twist ending didn't hit as strong that said i did really enjoy it and i do love the breakneck speed of this movie yeah i think um, mostly it's the characters and the dialogue that we really enjoyed more than the actual oh the dialogue yeah absolutely and it was it's funny because like when i i finished watching it and i thought to myself wow that you know i really what a great plot and then, like, the next day I was like, wait, so I was trying to write the synopsis, and like, from memory, and I'm like, wait, what the hell is the ending about? So then I yeah. rewatched it. Uh, I actually rewatched the movie, and I understand it a, understood it a lot better that time. Yeah. Um, so that'd be my, you know, that'd be my only knock against the speed of the plot is that I think that eventually yeah. it makes the movie a little less memorable. Yeah, because basically we don't really care, like, about Moose or Belma. We don't care about them at all. Right. We care about the character of uh, Philip Marlowe because he's mm -hmm. so entertaining and he, yeah. and he's trying to do the right thing. We care we care that he solves the case. Yeah. And he did. We don't care who's involved with the case mostly, but we yeah. care about Philip Marlowe himself. That's very true. While I cared about him finding Velma, I didn't really care about the character of Velma. You're yeah. right. Uh, mm -hmm. That's a good way of putting it. Um, you know, I, I'm just going to go ahead and say it. I think this film definitely is derivative of Chinatown. Again, I don't think if Chinatown had been a hit that this movie wouldn't have come out. Mm -hmm. And China, you know, I can see the influence from that movie in this one because that movie as well moves, or has, it's a very dense, densely layered plot. Yeah. But the difference is that movie's probably 45 minutes longer. Yeah. So it gives, there are more times that the characters have to breathe and to flesh their, themselves yeah, yeah. out. So we can relate to them more and connect with them more. Perhaps. In this yeah. movie, you don't really, I don't really relate to anybody except Marlowe at times because like, really, this character is just exhausted. That is the whole point yeah. of his arc here. He starts... Basically, they're just, just caricatures, you know, this like, you know, yeah. the tough detective, the yeah. cops who are assholes, you know, the the femme fatale themselves, the femme fatale, you know, the, the yeah. drunks, the hookers, you know, all that stuff. The prostitute, you know, which is caricatures of old noir stories from like the 1930s and 40s, which like in, um, you know, um, I want to say Jackie Gleason, but that wasn't him. You know, like old gangster films in the 1920s and stuff like that, you know. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, so like, yeah, they're basically just characters of, of that. And we're not supposed to really relate to them. We're just supposed to just look at them and kind of go. It's kind of like Dick Tracy, you know, like how... Like, who is Dick Tracy? He's just a guy who wants to fight crime. That's it. He doesn't have any, like, attributes. He doesn't really have any characteristics or, like, anything like that. You just know Dick Tracy is a man who is for justice and mm -hmm. wants to fight crime. You know his personal life. You don't know his, like what he laughs at or like, if he drinks at all. You know, He's just Dick Tracy. We just know that he has a rogues gallery full of physically deformed weirdos that yeah. he is just obsessed with taking down. Exactly. That's, that's it. Right. That's right. Kind of, that's kind of like what this is. You know, We just know that Philip Marlowe has a case and he has to solve the case and it's an enjoying to watch him solve the case. That's a good comparison. Uh, you know, whereas the Marlowe character in this movie, the only change that he undergoes is he gets just more sleepy he does show some like yeah, you know some like he's obviously very human it's not like he's like an emotional exactly, person yeah, he's yeah. very human the yeah, exactly. whole yeah the whole thing about from the yeah it's watching terror he's very well, human right, right you know the the musician tommy ray uh his death really impacts him because uh he had previously visited with tommy ray's uh wife who's yeah. now widowed and their young toddler son which you know you can tell definitely rattles marlowe but then you look at something like uh, Jake Giddis from China Chinatown, and the character. Well, I don't know if I'd say he goes undergoes big sweeping changes. You can tell that there's some past trauma that's yeah brought back. I think in Chinatown where it's it's 
it's like he's going to change, I think. I think because he's solving this case, he's going to find, like, true love. Or he's going to finally bust the case that can actually help people or something like that. And expose all this stuff, you know, so people can be uh, not be excluded by the government mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Well, and then he, But unfortunately... He fails. Once again, they, it pulls him back in because it's Chinatown, you know. It's yep. just like... You think you're going to get a happy ending, but you don't. And the moral of that story is just leave it the fuck alone. You're not going to change it. Yeah. Isn't it? Yeah. No. Yeah. Uh, again, I I actually really did enjoy this movie a lot, but it did make me just want to watch Chinatown. <laughs> it just, I think, uh, I think that the influence, like, this is like a Dick Tracy thing where this, to me, strikes me as it was made simply to cash in on the success of the new, the neo-noir movement that yeah. Chinatown started. It's a very competently made movie. I love Robert Mitchum, and I love actually the whole cast here. Yeah. Um, but ultimately, there's a reason this movie's not talked about these days, I yeah. think. Because um, I love Bob and Marlowe adaptions, not even the best one, I mean... There's the original Big Sleep, which starring Humphrey Bogart, which people love. Mm-hmm. Um, Long Goodbye, directed by Robert Altman, which, which is really great. That's it's, the one with Elliot Gould? Elliot Gould, yes. Okay. You know. um, let's see. Like Those are more popular than that one. Um, definitely. Lady in the Lake, also another popular film noir movie starring Robert Montgomery. Um, yeah. yeah. So this is not the, probably the most popular one, but it's definitely up there. So maybe like oh, the fourth. Oh, sure. Yeah, definitely. Sure, I'm not going to rag on that. I'm not going to at all say this is bad, but... Yeah. Um, I wonder if maybe this is the third adaptation of this novel. Yes, for I the big so, screen. Yes, see, I just wonder. Yeah. I just wonder if maybe this one didn't have anything new to bring to the table. It was just to keep the movie relevant, perhaps. Yeah. You never know. Like it could be like the '70s version of Nosferatu. It's a fine movie, but everyone remembers the '30s '30s yeah, version. Exactly, yeah. That's the one that originally scared people. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, how about uh, what do you think of Sylvester Stallone showing up? Yeah, that was a short little cameo. Yeah, Does he have just, any words? No, he has no words. Yeah, I didn't think so. He kind of just, he's a there's a set piece to make sure that the woman who the the mother right they call it the head mother the madam the yeah. madam yeah. yes gets killed the yeah. broth alone I got kind of confused why she wanted to know about moose then you told then you said the synopsis like oh Thelma yes. was she used to be one of the one of prostitutes yeah okay yes, exactly. that makes sense now because everyone's like why does madam care about moose so much yep. I know, that's, see, that was another thread that I was actually anxiously waiting to have wrapped up, and I did enjoy the payoff to that, is, why do all these people care about this moose guy? Yeah. Why the fuck does everyone want moose dead? You know the guy that first shoots at him in the opening, by the way? I recognize that smile. His name is, oh, shit, I just, oh, um, Burton Gilliam. Burton Gilliam. And he's credited in this movie as Cowboy. He is the guy from... He's the guy from Blazing Saddles that sings Swing Low, oh, Sweet Chariot. <laughs> I love that guy. Oh he's such God. a dickhead in that yeah. movie, but he's so good. That's and apparently he uh, apologized profusely to Cleveland Little for having to use the N-word, which uh, makes him all of the more likable. That's good. But, no, he. Uh, I thought that was funny just because it's such a quick moment when yeah. he sticks out the window to shoot Moose in the beginning. And yeah. I was like... That smile, it's the guy from Blazing Saddles, and sure enough, it yeah. was. So all this, like, basically all this, to wrap it up, was to make sure that nobody finds out that, I don't know, that they stole $80,000 from a bank back in 1932 or something, or 1940s, whatever this was, which is, like, equivalent of maybe $500,000 today. Oh, it was a big score. It was a big score, yeah. And I think, well, I think um, Velma was genuinely trying to reinvent herself, and 
she was having help or she was getting help from Burnett yeah. to kill anybody who could identify her as the dancer Velma. Yeah, so that way they won't she's not connected to the robbery Correct. and also not Correct. to the moose and her past. Which is weird to me because didn't Moose already take the fall for it all? Yeah. Right? So what was the issue? I think she could still be arrested for Maybe it. Maybe she just wanted all the money? Yeah. Well, she could still be arrested for it, right? Even though he I guess. I don't know what the statute of limitations was in the yeah. 40s, but I mean, I feel like it was the 40s. Get away with anything. Yeah, you could. If Moose is that devoted to you, too, I mean, maybe she just didn't want to be with him. That's the sense I got. You don't yeah. typically shoot people you want to spend your life your life with. Um, so I do think, you know, she was obviously the one trying to... She maybe, was just she trying thought, to run out. maybe she thought Moose was trying to get her or something like that. Because you don't really know... That's true. She doesn't know Moose's motivation. Like, That's Moose true. wants her, not to, like, hurt her or anything. She just wants love. Because he was, he was promised that in eight, eight years of prison or seven years of prison yeah. that he spent. So, like, she thinks, like, oh, God, he wants to get me or something like that. He wants revenge or something. And maybe so. he does. I mean, we still really don't know what was in his mind. mind. Yeah. Uh, it's assumed that it's to, and it yeah. seems like it's to rekindle some romance that, you know, there's, you know, he obviously is carrying a torch for her. Um, but we don't know definitively, it's worth noting. True. The ambiguity is not, ambiguity, rather, is not bad. Mm-hmm. Um, Let's see. Uh, John Ireland was good as Nalty. Oh, yeah. Um, Sylvia uh, Miles truly was great. True. Harry Dean Stanton was great. Yeah. Especially and that line I read earlier where it's just like, you're like a slot machine. You, you, you pump out six bits. That is a good line. That's a good six line. Six line is yeah. great. Um, let's see. What else? We got Moose. The prostitute that was sleeping with Sylvester Stallone, the actress's name is Rainbow Smith. But cool. Rainbow, this is badass, Rainbow is spelled R-A-I-N-B-E-A-U-X. Like the Cajun, like, oh, or like French or like whatever Susie. that would be. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah Rainbow yeah. Smith. I think that's cool that's as hell. Cool. Yeah. yeah, I like that. Um, so 75, 76 Rocky came out. So this is like right before Rocky Mania happened. Yeah. Oh, wow. yeah. Just before. Right before, yeah. So I know before this, he was in The Wanderers. He was in Death Race 2000, which is Ron Howard's first film. That's right. Yes. Um, but I think, yeah, before that, yeah, then Rocky hit and then became a, a megastar. Yeah. So that's interesting, definitely. Um, yeah. yeah. I think, uh, we could go through it beat by beat, but we already did that, like, through the synopsis. And, like, yeah, this, I think we can give up. Final sure. synopsis and stuff like that. Yeah. It's a fast moving movie. We'll be here all movie. night. We'll be here all night. Already an hour and yeah, but yeah. Um so yeah. Um let's give it to our final thoughts then. Um Alright, for me, uh when I heard this movie, I of course never heard of it. I always I like Noirs. Noirs are amazing, you know, I've seen double identity, I've identity, you know. I always like um the realism of a, the sadness of it. The good Billy Wilder movie. The good Billy that Wilder. I was robbed of. Yes, yes. I've seen many other noirs, like, for instance, Blood Simple, um, which is amazing, you know, in its atmosphere and everything. And, of course, this one doesn't really have, like, the atmosphere of, like, of Blood Simple and stuff like that. But it has, like, you know, the the fastness and the pace and the dialogue, snappy and funny. And The, the chain-smoking, the drinking. The chain-smoking, the drinking. The characters Ruffle are amazing. Clothing. The actors are amazing who play them. And it's a really fun movie. It's really fun and really gives a good adaption, probably, to the Marlowe character. Yeah, but, I don't know, is this the best of, like, the Marlowe movies? Probably not, but is this, like, the best movie, you know, best film noir movie I've seen? No, definitely not. But, you know, it's a fun movie, otherwise, you know. Of course, we got a man, uh, Robert Mitchum, kicking ass, always. <clears throat> kicking ass, always. So, yeah, I would give this movie, um, 
Four out of six stars, you know, it's a very fun movie, you know. If you ever feel bored on a, you know, Saturday night or something, you pop this in, you have a fun time. Yeah. Yeah, wow. I mean, I, I actually gave it a four out of six myself. Uh, we'll say four out of six glasses of bourbon. Yeah. Um, fistfuls of bourbon. Fistfuls How about that? Bourbon, yeah. um, I'll give it four out of six slot machines. How about that? There you go. Yeah. Uh, I do agree with a lot of what you said. There is a lot to like about this movie. And the four out of six rating is not, again, ratings, we always say what are, they're, they're irrelevant. Yeah. Um, there's a lot to like about this movie, but it is not Chinatown. If you want a truly great noir experience for yeah. this time period in filmmaking, Go watch Chinatown. Yeah, it doesn't, it's ageless. It's a great movie. Yeah. Uh, it, it somehow takes the idea of municipal municipal water uh, allotment and yeah. makes it entertaining. Um, Robert Mitchum is great at playing this character, not just from the hard-boiledness, so to speak, but straight up an exhausted character. Somebody yeah. who has just been through the ringer, who's seen it all before. So it's not like... That's another funny thing about the character is none of this comes as a surprise. Yeah. When the twist is revealed, he's just like, yeah, whatever. whatever. It's, it's, yeah. It is what it is. He has seen this all before. It's a procedural to him in a lot in a lot you know a lot of ways, uh, aside from maybe getting doped with heroin and thrown in a storage. That uh, was closet. a great scene when he got that. They like the hallucinations. And he finds the corpse. Finds that the is corpse, a great. Yeah. That is a great scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do feel like no other actor could pull the role off quite the way he does. Uh, Not to say they couldn't do a great job, but just his sleepy eyes. The guy's got naturally sleepy eyes. I don't know how to describe it. And, okay, I don't know if it was before or after this. He was in the movie uh, The Friends of Betty Coyle, which is about like bank robbers who are just old men who are just like middle-aged men trying to support the families. Yeah. And it's just like just showing like the life of crime is not glamorous. It's just like very old people just robbing banks and like drinking. And like, you know, there's nothing exciting about it. You know, they do jobs, they go home, stuff like that. So, yeah, it kind of fits his mold perfectly. Especially in the 1970s, Robert Mitchum. Because, like, 1950s oh, and 60s, you know, he was playing all these great characters, you know, and, like, Night of the Hunter and Kate Fear and all these guys. You know, and then, like, in the 70s, he's a little bit older. He's, in, like, in his 50s. He was, like, 53 when he played this film. Mm-hmm. He's supposed to be in his 30s, but you can obviously tell he's not that. Oh. Yeah, so he was, like, 53. You can tell, like, he's the perfect age of just, like, I'm done with it. So yeah. he's got them playing like those types of characters, I guess, in the seventies, mm-hmm. especially in the friends of Eddie Coyle. So yeah, but yeah. Oh no, and he is he is perfect as this character at this time too, because again, he's he's past his prime, right? He's a little over the hill just in terms of just naturally. Yeah, it's not like he can't handle the jobs at all. That's not the case, but he definitely he you know he's not an action hero. He gets his ass kicked in this movie a bit, yeah. right? Right from the beginning with the girl kneeing him in the in the balls, yeah. you know, and Moose muscling him over. Mm-hmm. He gets beat up. He stands his own. But all I'm getting at is Robert Mitchum is perfect for this role. The whole cast is very good. Yeah. The movie looks great, uh, you know, but at the same time, I think it kind of suffers a little bit from the uh, the the syndrome of the private life of Sherlock Holmes, uh, where yeah. this, I don't think it's the look per se. It could stand to be a little smokier or grainier or more noirish, yeah. for lack of a better descriptor. I mean, there were a few shots. Um, let's see, the drug sequence, that was great. I think there was one sequence where it was a light and it transitioned to another scene. It was another light. Oh, sure, sure. That no, happened. There are some great camera tricks. I yeah. just mean in terms of lenses, perhaps. And uh, I'm not an expert on this. I'm just saying, I think... And maybe it's maybe I just the version I watched wasn't the, high, the best definition for the movie. Who yeah. knows? All I'm getting at is it has the 
what do I say? The Sunday rainy Sunday TV movie feel, uh, or uh, rainy Sunday yeah. movie that you catch on TV feel. Okay, to yeah, because like yeah, the does that so make like sense? home movies was like a TV movie, and this was correct. That's this all. Wasn't I mean. Like this was like an upper tier, not a made film. for TV movie to yeah. be clear, but one of those movies that you'd see on a Turner Classic Movies or AMC on a yeah. rainy Saturday afternoon. It's just what is this? It's some obscureish movie yeah, from the seventies or eighties. Okay. And it's not a bad thing. I actually love that aesthetic for some reason. It, it's a nostalgia thing, perhaps. Mm-hmm. But I, too, like I said, I gave this movie four out of six. Um, I definitely thoroughly enjoyed it. I probably won't return to it any time in the near future. I think I'm not in the near future, but, you know, I may watch it again. Well, eventually, you know? sure. Yeah. No, like... like I, you know what? I feel like if I'm, like, bored and I see, like, this on somewhere... It's I mean, a quick watch. Quick I mean, it's watch. only an hour and a half-ish, yeah. right? It's a quick watch. It moves fast. I mean, really fast. Yeah. So I thought I wasn't be able to watch it twice in one day, and I did. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow, okay, yeah. Well, if you had... Hey, you know what? It's a, it's still, for a four out of six, quote-unquote, it is a strong recommend for me. If you find it, you know, don't buy the Blu-ray. Don't go out of your way yeah. to pay money, yeah, extra money for this. But if you see it on one of your streaming services or on TV... Give it a watch. You'll enjoy it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Okay, well, that was our opinion. Now let's find everybody else's. Or watch it Ebert. It's Ebert time. Ebert, Ebert time. time. Ebert time. Ebert time. Ebert time. Ebert time. Ebert time. Okay. So watch Ebert, of course, gave this four stars. Um, he says, quote, It is indeed the most evocative of all the private defective movies we have had in the last few years. It's not as great as Roman Polanski's Chinatown, which was concerned with larger subjects. But in the genre itself, there hasn't been anything this good since Hollywood. Good since Hollywood was doing Philip Marlowe the first time around. One reason is that Dick Richards, the director, takes his material and character absolutely seriously, which he does. Uh, he's not uneasy with it, as Robert Altman was when he did Elliot Gould. When he had Elliot Gould flirt with seriousness and the long goodbye, and Richards doesn't hedge his bet. Yeah, I agree with that definitely. This is definitely a more serious take on the character. Unlike Robert Altman's uh, Long Goodbye, which is more funnier. Because, like, he plays for the model. Like, he's... In, okay, Elliot Gould's performance, I would say. Um, he's he's more... Fu- he's funnier. Like, you know, but he's more, like, last of the days of cold than serious, you know? He's just like, yeah, whatever. Like, it's... It's it's set in the 1970s. He's more, like, hippie-ish. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he's more doesn't care about society. Not like he gave up. Just, like, he's more ambitious and ambiguous to society you know i think that's cool as heck and that's how they do it in the um the uh big sleep with what's his face with um robert mitchum yeah they make it take place in the 70s yeah that's cool yeah yeah he's more he's more like a hippie smokes weed and stuff like that yeah um it goes on to say uh neither does robert and neither does robert mitchum and what becomes his definitive performance mitchum is one of the great screen presences presences uh, and at 57, he seemed somehow to be just coming of age. He was born to play the weary, cynical, dodgy, romantic model. His voice and his face and the way he lights his c- cigarettes are all exactly right and seem totally effortless. His trademark, and that's his trademark. In a good Mitchum performance, we are never aware he is acting. And it's only when we measure the distance between his characters and what we can see what he's doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he says about Richards, uh, Dick, and David uh, Zidla Goodman. He says the story at the end with Marla trying to explain things to Nolte and then the flashback to the beginning to let Marla elaborate on the story and the voiceover. It is a strategy that is often distracting in movies, but not in this case because it borrows from Chandler's own first-person narrative and it gives great one-liners. Nice. Um, 
And then he goes on to say, uh, Fellow My Lovely is a great entertainment and celebration of Robin Richards' absolute originality. It also announces the arrival of Richards as a promising new American director, which doesn't really happen. Um, yeah, so, yeah. Uh, he goes on to say, like, his Culpepper Cattle Company in the last half hour of the otherwise uncertain Rafferty and the Gold Dust Twins had an interesting way of seeing things, and now he, here he, now here is a totally absurd piece of work. Yeah, I guess those are the other movies. Those are some great movie titles, though. The Culpepper Cattle Company and the Rafferty and the Gold Dust Twins. That is fantastic. That is great. Uh, most of the time, most of the time, private eye stories have no meaning at all, unless it is in the way that heroes behave in the face of most unsettling revelations by human nature. This is time Philip Marlowe behaves very well. End quote. All right. Yeah. So kind of like a synopsis of we just said, you know. Um, but you know, he probably was more entranced by it because he loved. He probably loves film noir more than we do. He probably has a greater history and understanding of it. So. Yeah. Yeah. So that was why I have a new segment though. Oh. So um, I have taken quotes from Letterbox itself of this movie. Not a lot of great ones, I would say, but it's really fun though. Sometimes. Okay. Um, so for Letterbox score, this is given three point four out of five stars. Um, these are some of the bad reviews. One and a half stars. Um, these hoes be doing research. I'm these hoes. Wow. One and a half stars. Uh, another two-star review. Grandpa. What does that mean? I have no idea. A two-star one. Uh, Grandpa, it's time for your pill. <laughs> I can confidently say I've never seen a shittier detective get paid so much to be useless. And then a shitty mochi. <laughs> oh, by geez. G. Kelps. And that previous one was by W. Thartig. Um, two stars by Rafi Nak- Nakashin. Uh, more like good night, my lovely. Because it's so boring. Hmm. And this is a five-star review. Um, by Summer 13. Want to watch? Forgot what happened. Five stars. <laughs> wow, that kind of sums up what we said about yeah. how it kind of you kind of lose it as you, you go. Yeah, you kind of yeah. lose it, yeah. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah, so that was uh, other people's opinions about the film. Uh, let's go into awards season. Mm. So this was not nominated for Best Picture at all. Uh, it was nominated, of course, for the Academy Award for Best Actress in a Supporting Role by Sylvia Miles. Mm-hmm. And I believe, let's see, uh, the best supporting actress of that year was uh, Lee Grant in Shampoo, Ronnie Blakely in Nashville, Sylvia Miles in Fellow My Lovely, uh, Lily Tomlin in Nashville. I think we watched Nashville. I watched it one time. I was so Heard it's good. It's really good, yeah. It's yeah. supposed to be Robert Altman's magnum opus. Yeah. Uh, Brenda Vaccaro in Jacqueline Suzanne's Once Is Not Enough. And of course, yeah. So those were the nominations and the winner. I've watched a little bit of shampoo, but I haven't finished it, so I gotta rewatch that. Okay, um, and also was nominated for Edgar Allan Poe Award for Best Motion Picture by David Zilla Goodman. I guess that's a Biden Award. Um, okay, Best Picture of that year was One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, Barry Lyndon, Dog Day Afternoon, Jaws, and Nashville. So some fucking heavy headers right there. Yeah. I don't know any film that could be replaced by. Uh, Farewell, My Lovely. I don't know. This is some fucking heavy hitters, yeah. So, what do you feel about One Flew Over Coconuts winning that year? I don't know if you've seen it. It's an it. outstanding movie. It is a great movie. Yeah. But, like, you got Barry Lyndon, which is a masterpiece. I haven't it. seen Barry Lyndon. I know. I just, I told you I used some Amazon yeah. gift cards. I just got that gift set. That's the one that I was most excited for. Yeah, they got Dog Day Afternoon, it. which I haven't seen. But and Rest in Peace to Ryan O'Neill. Ryan O'Neill, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 
Dog Day Afternoon. You got Jaws, Nashville. I could have spent a year that like a movie like Jaws won it. Could have spent a year. No, the Academy wasn't ready for it. Uh, I mean, if you. But this jo- is Jaws. Oh, man. Jaws is like the perfect movie too. Yeah. I you know that's tough man because I do love I I'm a big fan of One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest as well. Yeah. So that's tough for me to say. But yeah, Jaws is infinitely more watchable. Yeah. Right. I mean. But you know, you watch One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, you get amazing performances from like. Jack oh, it's and incredibly and, watchable. Yeah. Okay, fine. Which one am I more willing to more likely to rewatch? It's Jaws. Jaws, yeah. Jaws is the shit. I watch it at least once a year. Yeah. Uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, though, I have no problem with winning the Academy Award. Yeah. It's an outstanding movie, and if I'm not mistaken, isn't that the one that made Nicholson a star? No, he was a uh, he did um, Easy Rider in the sixties, sixty nine. Was it he? Was he the star star of it though? I've never seen. No, that it. was Pete Fonda, but he helped uh, direct it. And stuff. Yeah, it was Peter Fonda and Dennis Hopper. Dennis right? Hopper, yeah. Okay. But he had a part in directing it and or producing it because yeah, okay. he was involved with the monkeys, and uh, he helped produce Head, I believe, the film they did. Yeah. And then that started him off into the career of uh, Easy Rider. Then he did Carnal Knowledge in 1971. Yeah. I think that was his first major, major one. Okay. I don't know when Five Easy Pieces was. This could have been 1975 also. I forget. But yeah, but 70s was like, oh, Nicholson. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, um, some fun facts. Uh, Marlowe was in his 30s, but Rod Merchant was in his 50s. It was 57 when he played the role. Um, the film spent several days shooting on location at Harold Lloyd's estate, the great silent actor, who I think was a racist. I'm not sure. Don't not <laughs> quote me on that. <laughs> but I think he has some problems. Uh, when Mitchum goes to meet Rampling at her place, the two are actually relaxing in Harold Lloyd's uh, office or den. Um, the filming of Farewell My Lovely was a trip down memory lane for Robert Mitchum. The movie brought him back to the derelict neighborhood he knew decades prior when he was a poverty stricken teenager. One night, as Mitchum handed money to vagrants on the street, his attraction attracted the attention of an old beat cop on patrol. The officer took a look at him and said, so you're back. Oh. So that's fun. Nice. And of course, Sylvester Stallone's last film before his appearance in Rocky was this movie. All right. Yeah. Man, Sylvester Stallone, I want to Sylvester Stallone was so hyped to be acting with Robert Mitchum. He's just like, oh my God, I'm with Robert Mitchum. He'd be pretty, oh my God, I'm with Robert oh, Mitchum. Oh, I can't oh, believe it, man. I'm in a movie with Robert Mitchum. Oh. <laughs> yeah, that's probably what he said. Probably exactly what he said. And my mission was like, what the fuck are you saying? Where's my whiskey, damn it? Yeah. Yeah. All right, TJ. Uh, that was Film of My Lovely. It is now time for the final thing. The final thing. The final thing. Final thing. The final thing. Final thing. Final thing. Final thing. All right. Okay. TJ, what is the final thing for this day? Ah, we went back to the well and kept it easy here. We got to name your film game. Name that film game, rather. Uh, pretty straightforward. I have 10 clues about a movie, uh, and I think they get increasingly easier. Uh, basically, once you have a guess for this movie, um, let me know so I can lock you in at that clue, but don't blurt out the name so that people at home can play along should they like. You can write down, you can type it or whatever, just, uh, no changing it, okay? Are you ready? Sure. This is real straightforward here. Will we get in trouble if we play background music? I don't think so, as long as it's like duty free or something. Whatever they fuck the call. Oh, royalty free? Royalty let's free, see. Yeah. Let's, let's just search royalty free. Royalty free background music. Do royalty free jazz background music. Oh, that's good. Yeah. 
That's good, actually. Mm-hmm. Jazz. I feel like, how can you own jazz? Yeah. Jazz is like... I don't know, man. Jazz is great. Yeah. Okay, let's see. It's probably going to be like cafe jazz. Yeah. I don't yeah. care. I love it. I love it. All right. Are you ready? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Name that film. Clue number one. This movie was released in 1982. Okay. 1982. Mm-hmm. Clue number two. This movie was based on a 1938 novella by John Campbell. Okay. Clue number three, and this is a fun one. While the music in this film earned the composer a Razzie nomination, some of the score uh, that was unused was later used in a Quentin Tarantino movie that won the composer an Oscar. Yes. A Quentin Tarantino movie from the the 2000s, I'll give you a hint. Okay. 2000 on. My guess, Kill Bill. All right, clue number four. While there were plans for a sequel to this movie, planned to be released in the late 1990s, with the director and the star actor set to return, this plan ultimately fell through, and a video game for the PlayStation 2 and PC served as a direct continuation of the story. Damn, this is a hard one. Okay. Well, good. You, the other ones you made made uh, were too easy, I think. All right. Clue number five. The special effects makeup designer on the film worked nonstop to the point where he was eventually hospitalized for exhaustion. During his recovery, special effects legend Stan Winston helped out on the film while refusing to actually take credit. He received a special thanks in the credits, though, anyway. 1982, based on a book. Uh, it was going to be a sequel, but there wasn't one, and it was a... Shoot. There we go. Hey. All right. It was supposed to be... It's based on a book. It's supposed to be a sequel, but that didn't happen. It was released in a video game for the PS2. That's right. It does a lot of makeup, and... You don't get time to just workshop this, okay? Okay, fine. Give one then. Alright, clue number six. This movie was released on the same day as Blade Runner and during E.T.'s monumental box office run. As a result, the movie suffered financially and critically at the time, but has since become a cult favorite. This will get easier. I think you'll get this. Okay. A cult favorite. This is good. I like this. I like this. Yeah. Clue number seven. The game's entertaining. This music is. That's right. Yes. (laughs) Clue number seven. The only female presence in the cast is a computer program's voice, which is provided by Adrian Barbeau. So hard. I have no idea what this movie is. All right. Well, let's see if this one helps. All right. This is tougher. Than, I, I made this purposely tougher because you've gotten all my other ones. All right. So I wanted to, to add to up it a little bit. Clue number eight. Ooh. Yeah. Okay. Clue number eight. 
Okay. Yeah. Yeah, we're in the we're in the home stretch we are here. In the home stretch. Clue number eight. A prequel with the exact same name as this film was ultimately released in 2011 to a lukewarm response by fans and critic. A, a prequel in 2011 with the exact same name. Okay. No idea. The exact same name. It's 1982, so it's not Aliens. That was mm. 1986. Uh, we'll see if you can get it from the last two clues. All right, give me the last okay? clue, yeah. Clue number nine. And I actually, this one should have been earlier. I apologize. This movie's director has said that this is his favorite of all the movies he's made. So again, it's his favorite was not a hit at the time, but became a cult favorite. Uh, All male cast, except for the computer's voice. That computer's voice. It's not Dune. A computer program's voice, it's I should not say. Not Dune. That was an all-male cast. Let's see if this last this last one, I think, will open the floodgates for yeah. you. Are you ready? Sure. And there's no there's no harm. Like I said, I don't feel bad. Yeah. You, you guys, you should see him. He's very upset right I now. I am very upset. I'm so uh, angry. Yes. If I had a cam, I'd be like in that little rascal scene <laughs> where they tell Dollar that El Papa doesn't want to see her anymore. She just crushes the can. That's me right now. Okay. Yes. No, that's a good, that's actually a really good comparison. Yeah. But no, this is the final clue and hopefully it opens the floodgates for you. This movie may be considered a remake as well as there was another version from the 1950s. The original Got it. was briefly shown in 1978's Halloween. Got it. With which this film shares a director. You got it. There you go. Fuckin. All right. Jeez, that was hard. Oh I had to, I had to up it a little that bit. I had to up it. So, what movie is shown to the children in the movie Halloween, and was later remade in 1982? It was the thing. It was the thing. Very good. Jesus, that was hard, man. I had him sweating here. I know. I was just like, Jesus, what is I this? I had you sweating here, but no, that. Um, if you would have said like before, like a remake of the 1950s, I would have been like, got it. It's the thing. That's why I didn't. Yeah, that's exactly. why I didn't drop that. I didn't. Yeah. I left the. I purposely left the name of the novella. Not like a lot of people know the novella. It's called Who Goes There. Yeah. Um. Uh. That's why I left that out. Yeah. But yeah. Um. The Rob Botine who made the effects. Uh, for the monster, uh, worked like like 180 days straight, I believe. Like it was some yeah. ridiculous number of days, like seven days a week, to the point where he had. And I left some of this out too. He had just, not just exhaustion, but pneumonia, double pneumonia. I didn't Jesus. know there was a thing. Double pneumonia and an ulcer, and that's why he was hospitalized. And Sam Winston helped out and created the dog thing character. That's cool. Um, yeah, this movie opened directly against E.T. and Blade Runner. And apparently the nation was undergoing uh, a recession and just not very good times. So E.T. was seen as like this fun escape. Yeah. Whereas like the the thing is super depressing. Yeah. It ends with a real down note. Definitely. So people weren't really vibing with it at the time. Yeah. And it really sidelined Carpenter's career. It did. He was yeah. supposed to do Firestarter but got fired from it. After oh, really? Bad re yeah, which actually may have helped him because, yeah. well, in the long after run. after that he did... We can probably stop the jazz music now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He would have made Firestarter better. Yeah. Because after that, 1982, he did They Live 87, right? Yes. Did he do something yes. before that? 
Uh, probably. Because, yeah. like, you know, they say, like, I read that, you know, it derailed his career. Obviously, he bounced back. Yeah. But, like, things like Prince of Darkness and yeah. uh, some of his later stuff wasn't as mainstream, mm-hmm. I, I don't think. Uh, yeah. Oh, so he did Christine in 1983. Christine, yes. Yeah, they, yes. they live in 1988. Yes. What did he do before that? Oh, no, he did Trouble, Big Trouble in Little China, 1986. There you go. Yeah, so yeah, so he had some hits. Escape from L.A. somewhere in there? <laughs> That's from 1996. That was way later, eh? Yeah, so ni- Escape from New York was 1981. Okay, I knew yeah. that was before the thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I didn't know Actually, how much... he did Starman, 1984. Starman. Nice. Yeah. I actually didn't realize how uh, how much later El- Escape from L.A. came out. I never saw yeah. that movie. So you got like a string of hits. You got Halloween, you got The Fog, Escape from New York, and you had, um, let's see, you had The Thing in 1982, then Starman. Mm-hmm. Oh, sorry, so you had The Thing, Christine, Starman, Big Trouble Little China, Prince of Darkness, which my guess is not the best of his filmography, but people really like that movie. I've always I meant to watch it this year, yeah. Halloween time, but I didn't. Yeah, I think mostly because of the effects it. of it, mostly maybe the story's not that good. And... Hey, Donald Pleasance too, though. Yes, yeah, true. Yeah, then you got then you have uh, Lay Live nineteen eighty eight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then kind of goes down in the nineties uh, in the Mouth of Madness ninety four, and then that's the one. I unfortunately, Escape from yes. L A. nineteen ninety six. I never saw it. That's one of my Kogan's favorite movies. He watched it so much. Ironically, or no? No, not ironically. Okay. Like, I was like, do you like the basketball scene? I was like, yeah. <laughs> Doesn't he surf, too? He surfs in it, yeah. And it's like the worst green screen you've ever seen before in your life. Oh, boy. It is bad. Okay, well, if you guys did enjoy the game, I hope you enjoyed the royalty-free jazz music. Yeah. Yeah. If you didn't enjoy the game, fuck yourself. I mean, tune in next time. We'll tune do better. Tune in next time. <laughs> Don't fuck yourself. Don't fuck yourself. Yeah, but that was a hard one. Thank you, TJ, for doing that. And if you guys have a better suggestion for a game or better background music suggestions, please comment or tweet us at at it underscore damage or go on a Facebook Facebook page. It's still to us, damn it. Sure. Or still to us, I should say. So, yeah, so that was the final thing. The final thing. Final thing. Literally the final thing. Yeah, literally the final yeah. thing. But actually not really the final thing. Because the final thing would be spinning the wheel. The wheel, yes. Spin the wheel, make the deal. Let us see what the next movie will be, and hopefully it won't take us another month to release another episode. It won't. It won't. We'll be hopefully better. Hopefully it won't. You just, I just gotta remind myself. Okay, here we go. Spin the wheel, make the deal. Who we got? Hopefully for Alter States. I really want a fucked up one. Oh, we're going targets. With okay. Peter Bogdanovich. Oh, nice. Yes. Yeah. I forget who directed it, but it's going to be fun. It's going to be bloody. All right. Yeah, I so look forward to it. Get ready for targets, people. I know nothing about it. Yes. Okay. Well, that's it for us. If you guys like us, please like, subscribe, rate us on SoundCloud, Spotify, and YouTube. Uh, please subscribe to our YouTube channel. Uh, please go to our Twitter for new episode updates at it underscore damn it and our Facebook page for it's still new to us. Uh, and if you like like the show, you know, respond to us. You know, buy us the parties, stuff like that. You know, yeah. Tell us what to do. We have what's the missing? We can talk about Clifford. Yeah, we need to talk about Clifford. Okay, mm-hmm. and sure, other podcasts have talked about Clifford, but I think we did the better. I think we did the best. Definitely. Okay, so I guess that's it for us. I'm Mo, and um, I'm also a slot machine that gives out six pence. And that is TJ. And I'm TJ, and uh, farewell, my lovelies. Farewell, you lovelies. 
Okay, see you guys. See you next time. Bye. Let's have Robert Mitchum play us out. Mm -hmm.